You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Scott, I have a movie pitch for you, the next installment of the MCU. Oh, I'm excited. Tell me all about it. Think about it. One Shang-Chi is good. Mm -hmm. Three Spider-Man, great. Okay. Six, seven Avengers. It's, It's awesome. What about ten Eternals, ancient demigods that have been here since the beginning of time. Okay, whoa, 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 Liam, I have some notes. Welcome, everyone, to I Have Some Notes, the movie podcast with cuts, keeps, punch-ups, and tweaks on mediocre movies, as suggested by you. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. And today we are discussing uh, the 2021 film Eternals, uh, the MCU. Uh, Expanding. Indeed. A lot. (laughs) Expanding way into the past. (laughs) Significantly. (laughs) This was uh, one of my first trips back to the theater. Uh, I braved the theater uh, during hashtag best summer ever to go see this flick. Really? Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so I got to, as my second, second time with it. Um, I know we have lots to discuss, but I will say there is a, there, the, whatever, whatever you think of the internal logic of this film, it gets slightly mo- more cohesive on a second viewing. That's fair. Uh, uh, yeah, I can see that. There's, this, there's definitely a lot of names uh, going on that I was like glazing over. That opening title crawl might as well have been like just nonsense. It, it, <laughs> I didn't bother reading it. It felt like the opening crawl of Dune <laughs> in many ways to me. Um, the mo- like uh, the movie's not great, but I didn't find it offensively bad. Like it was, it was watchable. It has its flaws. Um, but like, it's not terrible. We've definitely watched worse movies for this podcast. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, I was not pleased with the length of it (laughs) being two and a half hours was a little, it's a little frustrating, especially, um, as we'll get into, I, I, I found it quite boring on just about every level. Oof. Um, and I, I, and some of that isn't necessarily the movie's fault. Like, I don't care for this sort of like um, a bunch of heavenly space weenuses come down to Earth and teach mankind about stuff. Like, it's just it's just not a concept that interests me in any particular way. So, like, right off the hop, I'm already kind of like biased against it. You don't think there was like something interesting? But you're a Star Trek. This is like big Star Trek vibes. This is like oh, you know what? I'm glad like, you brought up Star Trek because <laughs> like, this the there's an episode directive? of like, is this <laughs> there's the, a, like <laughs> there's an episode of Star Trek: Next Generation where they go on an uh, um, an archaeology hunt for a bunch of artifacts, and in the end, they find out that the uh, thing that they're looking for is actually like. Uh, a message from a very ancient race of beings that seeded planets all over uh, the galaxy with life and stuff like that. And I was like, I don't care about this. I don't like, (laughs) this is lame. Like I, like it's also, it's like, it kind of takes away some of like sort of the science magic that, that Star Trek has, because it often adheres to like, tries to go along with, you know, um, serious science. And then like, also we got seeded by space aliens. Like, no, thank you. Um, I just, yeah, I don't like you're coming down hard on, on (laughs) space seeds. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is a, this is a sci-fi trope no-no for Greg. Interesting. Okay, it was also like Trek's way of trying to explain why everybody was a humanoid alien that looked kind of humanish, except with like weird meatloaf on their face. Yeah, I mean, I like I, I guess like if you you that- can definitely you can definitely understand that, but like that's one of those things in my mind. It's like doesn't need explaining. Don't care. Fair enough. <laughs> oh, they try to explain why all aliens are still bipedal humanoids and and are able to crossbreed because. Because apparently there 
are half Vulcans and half hilarious. I gotta Klingons, watch this one. So. Okay, sweet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and a half Bajoran, half Cardassian character in Deep Space Nine. The reason why all species can crossbreed is because we're all basically the same. We share the same DNA. Sweet. Um, big ideas in Star Trek, and uh, big ideas in this movie too. But uh, yeah, were they were they explored thoroughly? <clears throat> no, I guess we no. We will we will discuss. But first, just for uh, those that might not know, of course, uh, uh, Eternals, um, Marvel, Marvel flick, Phase Four, baby, let's go. Kevin Feige bringing bringing around Act Two, um, directed by Chloe Zhao, uh, written by Chloe Zhao, uh, Patrick Burley, and Ryan Furpo. That's a fun name to say. Um, <laughs> it much has been discussed on the size of this cast, uh, so I'm going to bang through this cast list real quick here. Um, we got Je- uh, Gemma Chan, Richard Madden, Angelina Jolie, Selma Hayek, Kumail Nanjiani, uh, to name a few. I don't feel like reading the rest of them. There's- <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> yeah, those are the big ones. The ones you're like, oh, that guy. Uh, I mean, interesting cast. I like seeing uh, uh, Selma Hayek's one of my one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, Can I take this conversation in a, in a b- brief aside, please? Because um, this movie has the 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 Marvel. Um, sequence like the the studio sequence after the cold open, mm-hmm. um, and and this is a weird aesthetic thing, but like I don't I don't like that the title of the movie of every movie now for Marvel appears to be Marvel Studios. I don't like that. I mean, like, do you guys have any feelings on that, or is that just like a weird quirk that I have? I I have no strong feelings one way or the other. Yeah, the, that it's called Marvel Studios: The Eternals. Well, no, it's just that like they they don't because you don't get the the actual the Eternals title until the end, right? But like mm. they just like it's just like it's just a Marvel Studio thing. It's almost like I often compare the Marvel movies to television series because that's essentially what it is. But like this is almost like a step too far where it's like I'm watching a new a new episode. I don't know. I just like I like I like title sequences and I like the artwork of unique title sequences and this kind of takes away from that. Like sure. I always I always really like the 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 build up to the movie starting. Like I love the the Fox fanfare. That's one of my favorite movie fanfares and and that's that's part of what that's part of that like Star Wars magic, you know? Like you get that you get the the Fox fanfare and then you get the the silence and then the big music beat or whatever. And I like that kind of stuff. Like that gets me, that gets me jazzed from the movie. And like, if, if the Marvel studios logo just came up first and then we got like its own unique title sequence, that would be great. Um, I'm just kind of, yeah, it's a weird thing that I just like, I just don't prefer it aesthetically. They, that's, that's, they put yeah. their money into the end credits though. Usually. Um, <clears throat> oh yeah. Marvel yeah. They definitely have, do. have very stylistic, uh, end credit roles, uh, partly because they know you're going to be sitting through them for the, for the post credit scenes and the mid credit scenes and the mid mid credit scenes. Um, but uh, yeah, no, you're right. They, they do have a lot of truncated beginnings now. Yeah. Of, of all the criticisms you can levy against this film, that was not what I was expecting, but <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> yeah, very, it's uh, yeah, it's a very minor, minor quibble with a movie that's got like <clears throat> a lot of uh, other major issues. I'll admit that, but like having uh, watched um, the, the video recently that um, why title sequences matter by I'm forgetting his name. Uh, that's right um like it, it made me it made me realize like how how much i really love that mood setting in the in the credit sequences just like and and the other thing that it does is it gives you um as he tells it like it gives you a sense of the 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 score um you know like i i like i i think that's part of the reason why there aren't as many many memorable scores for uh marvel movies is because they don't really give you any of it uh until the whole the whole movie is uh going through like the only one i really remember is the uh the avengers theme and that's only because i've seen you know six or seven avenger movies or whatever the fuck it is and i'm just like i just learned it through osmosis right good Mm -hmm. theme but like yeah there's there's no there's no wedding the pal or take you know you don't get a taste of everything uh with marvel movies unfortunately and that's partly because there's no title sequence to 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 get the the music in there for you 
yeah, hadn't hadn't considered it. Um, definitely like that Patrick Willems uh, video, but um, I find kind of you were talking about the Fox fanfare. Um, that's sort of that Marvel thing scrolling by is like, ooh, it's Marvel time. Um, but uh, absolutely, yeah, they're they're all showing up at the end. Uh, to, yeah, perhaps to to their discredit. Um, but let's. Uh, <laughs> I, don't know, I, 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 wanna, like, I told you it was a weird aside. It's just <laughs> I want to agree with you. I'm just like, uh, yeah, again, you don't. Yeah, the, you don't have to agree. It's, not again. agree, but just like like give it its its due. Yeah. But again, it's like of all the criticisms. Well, maybe I'll put it to the listeners. Like, tell us <laughs> yeah. what do you what do you think? Like, how, would you prefer there be a longer title sequences in these movies or not? Yeah. Uh, well, let's, uh, we'll get a little taste of the score here in the trailer, and we'll come back with the rest of our thoughts on, on the movie proper and not just the title cards. <laughs> We're Eternals. We came here 7,000 years ago to protect humans from the deviants. Why didn't you guys help fight Thanos? Or any war, all the other terrible things throughout history. We were instructed not to interfere in any human conflicts unless deviants are involved. By who? We need to find the others. I haven't seen some of them for centuries. Hello. This is what the end of the world looks like. At least we have front row seats. You know what's never saved the planet? Your sarcasm. We have loved these people since the day we arrived. When you love something, you protect it. Behold, a giant space triangle approaches Earth at the dawn of civilization. Within its symmetrical hull, it carries 20 to 30 characters called Eternals. Each one is sworn to protect human life, except from space invaders and big purple demigods. Oh, and the time Siri became a sentient robot and lifted a city into the atmosphere. Definitely could have used some help with that one. Anyway, the important thing is they are here to protect us. That is, until the Eternals discover their true purpose on our planet is to birth a giant celestial being incubating in the Earth's core. The Celestial's birth will kill all humans, creating a tiny conundrum for our heroes. Should they be new mommy to a god or save all humans? It's a toughie. <laughs> yeah, this uh, this movie really traffics in like the trolley problem to the extreme. <laughs> um, like <laughs> do i do i allow billions to die to save trillions yeah or like you know, pull that lever yeah that's i mean that's the weighty you know sci-fi uh, um sort of theme we're trying to deal with here but boy boy does it get muddled in a lot of other stuff oh boy um, does it um my like this movie is five pounds of movie in a one pound sack and yeah. that's my <laughs> biggest problem with it is there there's way too much going on and it's just layer upon layer of stuff and there's it's so bloated and it's so um full of plot because it's trying to set up this this lore it's trying to introduce these characters it's trying to forward multiple different plots at once and it's too much for this movie <laughs> It's too much. Uh, it's agreed. trying to juggle way too much. And uh, I think that I might be tipping my hand a little bit. I want my big fixes for this movie. No, I don't, see, I don't think so. Because I think, I think that, like, the fact that, that there is just too much trying to go on in this already. Like, it's a long movie, but there is just too much movie. Yeah. Um, and at least the way I way I see it is, is I'm not going to say there's too many characters, but there is a high volume of characters. Yes. There is a high volume of um sort of sci-fi storytelling with with these goals of and myth making as well myth making right uh um goals of like discussing those like sci-fi ideas like uh uh, you know how to deal with the trolley problem and predestination and free will and determinism and all that good stuff and they're trying to set up some other marvel movies um (laughs) one of the two harrington is just there to be in another marvel movie yeah exactly (laughs) Um, I don't think it's a matter of half of each. I think it's got to be one or the other. I agree, actually. Um, and again, at risk of tipping my hand a bit, I, I just, think 
yeah. I'm just going to say it. I think there's, yeah. I think this should have been more than one movie. Mm. I think that this should have been two movies and I'll just say that right now. I think there should have been uh, an Eternals part one and there should have been an Eternals part two and half of this movie should have been in the first one and <laughs> half of this movie should have been in the second one, but not necessarily like just chop the movie in half. I mean, like fully extract major yeah. plot points and save that for the second part. Um, and I'll, I'll get into the fine tuning of that when we, when we really get into the nitty gritty of our fixes, but I'll just be upfront. My fix is, like separate some of this out. I think there's a lot yeah. of good in there. You just crammed it all together and it's made a, a, a hash of everything. <laughs> yeah. Liam, you mentioned Kent Harrington's character and uh, he's definitely an, an interesting one to sort of examine as like how this movie's bloatedness creates problems. Mm-hmm. Um, because as, as Scott said, like he's, he's just kind of there or at least he seems to be. Because he shows up in the opening sequence, um, we get a pretty decent introduction of who he is and his relationship to Cersei, the the main character. And I, for mm-hmm. the record, I think the two of them have some good chemistry together. I quite like. I th- them. Yeah, I think so. The trouble is, like, he goes away for a yeah, very long time, and the then movie. <laughs> when he shows up, when he shows up on the phone, I was like, oh right. There he is. That's like I, yeah. <laughs> and the 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 thing is, is like his character actually is kind of important in the sense that like it's Cersei's connection to humanity. That's yeah, what that's he's supposed point. to represent, and he's just not really in there enough to make to really sell that and hit that home. Yeah. Um. It, they're they're too busy like worrying about all this other crap with all these other characters. You know, they've got way too many to worry about. Even some of the the Eternals, they kind of forget about. Like, um, uh, the the girl that goes really fast. What's her name? Makari. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she just like she. I guess she's just hanging out in the spaceship for five hundred years or something. I don't know. Like it's. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, they, uh, they clearly had a, uh, a little too much to, to handle, um, with regards to characters. I, I, I agree with you, Liam, that maybe ne- there's, it's not necessarily a too many characters. It's just that, um, there's maybe, um, too much focus on, uh, characters that maybe don't matter as much as it's like, as much as I liked Kumail Nanjiani and, uh, his, um, yeah, friend from Bollywood, the the producer guy, um, which I actually thought was the one character that was actually funny. Uh, the rest ballet. of them were not. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, he that that particular storyline is like kind of takes up way more screen time than it needs to. Um, it almost feels like they're letting uh, Kumail vamp a bit too much, and they're like, "This is good and, stuff. And, we got to leave it in." And they're and just it's desperate like, for comic yeah, relief. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think one of the main criticisms I've heard of this movie is that it's just like people say too many characters, and I don't know that that's necessarily fair, because like there's lots of movies that have lots of characters, like Royal Tenenbaums has as many characters, oh, more, um, but that's more, but that's a movie about characters. Yeah, It's a series of character studies and their relationships together, and Royal Tenenbaums would also be two and a half hours and need to be five if they also, along with sorting out their interpersonal drama had to like stop a space seed from emerging from earth and also um, had to fight a space monster. Yes. Um, so I, I think, uh, um, maybe not too, not if, if you're going to have that many characters, the movie needs to be about their relationships and not their, their collective relationship to some other cosmic plot. Well, it, it works as both if you don't have as many cosmic plots, because there are three cosmic plots. In yes. You've There's the, my the cosmic plot of stopping the birth of a God, the cosmic plot of fighting an, uh, an evolving super monster and the cosmic plot of internal betrayal. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's too much. And again, I think you just segmented out. You can have more time to get to know these characters and deal with one problem. <laughs> And then in part two, more time to deal with these characters while dealing with the bigger problem. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What do we? What do we? What do we like about this movie? Because we're going to quickly dovetail back into complaining <laughs> about it. Well, Honestly, what do we? <laughs> I'll say right up front. I think the yeah. cast is really good. I think yeah. I think they were all very well cast. I think that everybody um, had a very distinct identity. Like the characters mm-hmm. didn't all kind of blend together. 
Um, and I, I liked the, char- the, the charisma between the characters. I thought that uh, they had a lot of chemistry together. Um, so I'll, I'll start with that. I think that they, yeah. they nailed it with the cast. No notes there. I enjoyed um, or appreciated Cersei's arc, um, partly because it's not a type of arc that's often given to a woman. The the inheriting great responsibility that's usually in the domain of a male character. That's, that so would, I, in, a, in any other uh, time period, Icarus would have become the new leader. Right. Yeah. Like so, I I definitely appreciated that part of it. Um, the, the the last battle I think was pretty cool. That was like when I kind of suddenly woke up and like, oh, there's neat things happening. Like the the fight between Icarus and the and the speedy gal uh, was uh, really well done visually. Um, mm-hmm. It was a, it wasn't like it wasn't this the typical like uh, show things happening in the fast person's uh, point of view. Yeah, it, it was just like, all you saw was just like this, this bolt of someone just like punching the crap out of Icarus and stuff like that. And it, and uh, I think the camera moved in interesting ways that made it a lot of fun. Uh, so I, I, I like that. And I liked the look of the celestial popping out of the earth. I thought that actually looked pretty cool. Yeah. Um, it's just unfortunate that, that, the celestials themselves kind of look kind of dumb. Oh, I was, I was going to disagree because I was going to come at you with one of my favorite things was the production design, not just in how their powers manifest sort of like halfway between Dr. Strange's hand wavy magic and Iron Man's hand wavy magic. Um, like they both sort of wave their hands over CGI effects and stuff happens. That's mm-hmm. a real Marvel signature. And they made the ones the Eternals do look like a Marvel thing, but Eternals. So I thought uh, that kind of like the costumes, that um, aspect of the production design. But also, I thought the the the, the t- what what are they called? Titans? No, the Celestials. Celestials. Thank you. Um, I don't know why that slipped my mind there. Uh, like look cool as hell. Like the three the three eyes, but then it's also kind of like worn and weathered. And the way like Selma Hayek is like a pixel on the screen up against its face, like really did a good job of giving it size oh yeah um, yep. that makes me excited for how the, one might try to do like a galactus in the future mm. um but yeah i, should no, clarify, I, I, I like how the i like how the head looked i i don't like the design of the body like the mm. the head looks really menacing but like they're they kind of have like weird tiny skinny leg body i don't know it just it doesn't <laughs> it look weird yeah to they me look like one of those art pose dolls yeah <laughs> uh I think Just a lot the- of the production design actually did <clears throat> harken back to I'm going to call it like Jack Kirby style with yes, a lot of they- a lot of the Art Deco sort of uh, look of their suits, their powers. I feel like there was a lot of Jack Kirby injected into that, and I appreciate that. I think that it, you'd was- have to do this this series justice because yeah. I don't know much about the comics, but I know uh, very much his his baby, and he's he's as entwined in the. Um, the history of it as as like Stan Lee is in the Avengers and Spider-Man. Like Yeah. Actually we did have a couple listeners who uh complained that it wasn't Jack Kirby enough. Fair enough. <laughs> so. I mean that's that's fair. They needed to Marvel movie it up um to make it consistent with the rest of the MCU. But I, I feel like they did at least uh give some service to kind of that Kirby esque look and design. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, overall I did not love the look of this movie. Um, it was almost as if they did no color grading. Um, the, the blacks were, were way too high. It, if, you know, I kind of felt like I was watching sort of like this muddy gray thing through most of it. Mm. Um, with the, the final action sequence of the final battle being the only one that I didn't really feel like I was watching a very ugly movie. Um, and I did not like the design of the, um, what were the bad, monsters called the deviants the deviants, the deviants. I, yeah. I did not like the look at those at all and i and and more than that the cgi was not convincing at all and the 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 main guy once he turned in sort of more into like a a, a humanoid bad guy he looked real bad and not at all interesting uh so it was there was a big f on the special effects for me except <laughs> for except for the celestials i was i was pretty nonplussed with most of it the triangle ship looked it, cool. I'll give it that. No, it was very great. Like I, like I said, I saw it in theaters, and like the whole movie is overcast. 
Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, there's no sunny skies. There's no beautiful battle in Wakanda on the back of a rhino in this one. I will say, I do think that the movie plays with a lot of interesting sci-fi ideas. I don't know mm-hmm. that it handles them all very well. I think it actually fumbles quite a few yeah. of them because it doesn't <laughs> yeah. give itself the time to fully explore them. Like, it doesn't have the space to breathe because, again, it's it's too much movie crammed into uh, its runtime. Um, but I think that given more room to breathe, I, I, I honestly think that there's some good ideas <clears throat> in this movie. They just weren't explored very well. Yeah. And I think it also creates a lot of the other really popular criticisms that I've seen of this film of the like, it's a real easy movie to sci-fi nitpick. Like there's so many like, wait a minute, but like, would like <laughs> everything from like, wouldn't something coming out of the ocean like that completely disrupt tidal waves? Wouldn't, why didn't they <laughs> Not, help with Thanos? Like, <laughs> yeah. Not only that, but like it, like even like the that guy gets stuck halfway through the crust. Like that's enough to move a significant chunk of the Earth's crust around. I, I would think that that would have yeah. pretty awesome ramifications. Yeah, you'd think yeah. it'd be on the five o'clock news for sure that a giant statue suddenly appeared in the Pacific. <laughs> yeah, well, it was they, amidst I think there's massive a... <laughs> global earthquakes. <laughs> and then yeah. there's there's the like you know they're not allowed to interfere except for when they do. What is it they can't mm. interfere with? Just the fighting, but they can give us bombs, but they can't like that. That whole thing gets real caught. Com- that weird binary of like you can't interfere <laughs> except for all the times what we do yeah. and can. I'll, um, I'll give them I'll give them somewhat of a pass on that just because. You want to tell you want to tell the story the way that it's told in the comics, and you know, it's it's a it's a movie universe, and they aren't really made linearly, and you never really know when you're what you're putting together. So I'll give them a pass on that. Like if they've got a hand wave, it fine. It on would have been better if they just ignored the, it completely. On the fighting on the interfering thing. Oh, okay. Sorry. No, I'm asking. I started, oh, uh, yeah, that's what I mean. Like with uh, with um. Of a, um, like with Thanos and stuff like that, like um, you could you could argue that like isn't he an eternal? Like like that would almost make me think that they really should have gotten involved, right? Because uh-huh. he that's right, isn't isn't Thanos I some think, kind well, of eternal? And that's the end, the 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 bit at the post credits, right? Is like I'm an eternal and Thanos's brother, which then is like, well, does that make Thanos an eternal? Yeah. Um, in my mind, uh, why didn't they help with Thanos? I think you can hand wave away. Um, but this like binary of like, you can interfere and not interfere. You can give them the atomic bomb, but not a plow too soon. Um, <clears throat> that I, I found very frustrating. I was like willing to be like, yes, maybe he thought they were ready for the Thanos. atomic bomb. What's that? He thought they were ready for the atomic yeah. bomb and he was proven <laughs> wrong. Um, but then you can't <laughs> stop him from fighting. Yeah. That, that kind of cheesed me off and my fixes fix that. Um, <clears throat> in, in my, in my head, he didn't straight up build them an atomic bomb he just sort of like gave them the impetus for i don't know splitting the atom or something like that and then he's standing at the foot of like what the result was that's how i sort of like read it um but if if there was something in there that he basically said he built the atomic bomb then i missed it i'm willing to be proven (laughs) wrong speaking of headcanon uh i had to come up with some headcanon to bridge a slight logical gap Mm -hmm. in the movie and that was why icarus strung them along um because he's more powerful than the rest of the group combined is kind of what they they more or less straight up say so why does he have to hide the fact that he's betrayed them for so long and it's not really spelled out in the movie why he does that um is it because he thought that the rest of them would side with him and he just didn't want to turn them off by suggesting that he'd killed Ajax? Or was it because he wanted to keep them uh, distracted for as long as possible? And he knew if he had them pointed it to him, he'd uh, he'd it would bring up too many questions. They'd figure out what was going on too quickly. And ultimately, that that was me headcanoning that. It's just like yeah. he he was trying to string them along for as long as possible to allow the emergence to happen. It's And when I, what I said off the top here, uh, giving it a second watch, uh, certain things make more sense. They, they plant little seed, like, I don't want to say setups and payoffs, but they, like, introduce ideas in the beginning that do sort of back up some stuff later. But it's all very subtle and not the kind of stuff you're, like, clocking and remembering on too the much first watch because <laughs> there's just like other stuff going on yeah. and then on the second watch i'm like oh that was them 
that's them exp- this thing that everyone says they don't explain they're actually explaining it in like the first scene i can't think of a good example right now but there's like a bunch of dialogue in the first act that i'm like oh this oh that's why they okay um that makes sense but now. yeah two and a half hours later you're like i don't remember any of this yeah <laughs> my, my my sense of it was that icarus was not telling them partly because he was in love with cersei and that um he understood her con- like her connection to humanity was very strong and like he ju- i think he just couldn't he felt like he couldn't reveal that they were ultimately doomed um yeah uh because yeah he just didn't want to, he didn't want to do that to her and also he had, yeah he just straight up understood that like she would want to defend them and were that the case and knew that if he just didn't tell her that the emergence would just happen yeah yeah yeah, exactly. And there's the whole and then they forget about it. aspects, right? <laughs> and then they like, forget yeah. about it because their minds would be erased. Yeah, and then they would get to fall in love on another planet. Is that his hope? I don't know. <laughs> well, it's not going to happen now because he flew into the sun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was one of the things I was really hoping there'd be more of. Um, People flying into the sun? <laughs> no, um, of them, like, showing the myth-making. Of them, like, how does Thena become Athena, god, you know, protector of Athens? Like... If they've touched all these moments in human history, I think there's, like, so much fun to be had of, like, showing us how these myths got made that they don't do much of other than, like, the one scene in Babylonia or Bab- Babylonia and Babylon. Um, there's not a lot of the, like, how they became these, like, inspirations for myths like Icarus, like Athena, like Gilgamesh, you know. Um, yeah. Could have used more of that. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's a, another one of my fixes. <laughs> I have a question. Mm-hmm. Why does the big, heavy, deviant side with <clears throat> Icarus at the end? Because he wants to stop the emergence. But he, the he's deviants, siding with Icarus. Why is he fighting with Icarus? He's siding. Si- oh. He's siding with him. Uh, he's fighting. He's no, he actually, he shows up to fight Icarus, but then Thena wants to kill him for killing Gilgamesh, and so she starts fighting him. Yeah. Ah, uh, see, that was not clear to me. Yeah, he actually showed yeah, up it's... to help them stop the emergence, but then because he killed Gilgamesh and, I mean, technically killed Ajax, it was, Icarus was 100% responsible for that. The rest of the team turn on him. Okay. Yeah, he, he was really just to give Thena an arc, it almost seemed like. Like so, she—that's who she had to fight at the end to get her due. Spoiler yeah. alert: He's right. the main villain of my first movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Spoilers, spoilers <laughs> for my fix. He's not in my version of the movie. It's <laughs> he's not in my version of the. He's not in my version of the second <laughs> movie for sure. <laughs> Speaking of all those fixes, I think we're up yeah. in time. So that's perfect. Uh, perfect timing. Let's uh, just hear from the folks at the Alberta Podcast Network, and we'll fix the heck out of Eternals. In Alberta, you get to choose where you buy your energy from. If you choose Park Power, your money stays here. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference in their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kozowski. And we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. Learn more at parkpower.ca. Looking for a way to give back? ATB Cares makes it easy for all Albertans to support the causes they care about. Donate to your favorite charity through ATB Cares, and ATB will match 20% of every dollar donated to eligible Alberta charities. To learn more and donate, visit atbcares.com. Welcome back to I Have Some Notes. Uh, We have some notes for Eternals. Um... I'm, I'm I'm eager, but I want to hear what you guys have because I I wrote more notes on this than probably any episode previously, um, <laughs> and I'm not sure how to share them concisely because I really think there is a way to make this work in one movie. Um, I don't, um, <laughs> or rather, I think that there's a way to make a lot of this work in two movies, and I think the way you do it is you set the first movie actually in the past. Um, Not in the distant past, and I I do think that you should keep some of the flashbacks through both movies um, to show some of their history and stuff. But I think you start the first movie in like the 70s, 
Um, and it's them fighting the last deviant, them finding and fighting the last deviant. And this deviant is bigger. It's evolved more. It's able to absorb their powers. And, and this becomes like the big bad of their first movie. But as it becomes more um, articulate, as it becomes more intelligent, it begins to let slip the bigger plot, basically, and and reveal to them like, you are like, we were also created by the Celestials. We were supposed to be doing your job and we became too good at it. And now you're here to clean up their mess, but you're also just automatons. You're, you're less than we are because we're really alive and you don't know the real purpose behind what this planet is about. And, and this becomes the, the setup for the second movie. They kill it, but it's laid the seeds of doubt in their faith, in their mission. And the second movie starts with Ajax having figured out what's going on and then getting mysteriously killed. And then they need to kind of bring the, cause the first movie has them have a falling out at the end. Mm-hmm. And the second movie is now Cersei and Sprite and Icarus have to bring the group back together to solve who killed Ajax. Psyche turns out Icarus did because Ajax was going to try to stop the emergence, which is the bigger scope problem of the second movie. He's a true believer, and the rest of the team now has to defeat Icarus to stop the emergence and save the planet Earth. And there's there's your two movies separated out. Your A-plot, killing the last of the Deviants in the past, and having the family fall apart so that we can bring the family back together in the second movie and solve the murder mystery, find out who the traitor is, and stop the, the destruction of the Earth and and deal with the ramifications of that. And I think that that way you also, then you can save Kit Harrington for the second movie because Icarus has been out of the picture for years. Mm, uh, because the second sick. movie, yeah. if the first movie takes place in like the 70s or 80s, the second movie like, takes place in the modern era. Yeah. I yeah. like your 70s thing and that's, I mind it touches on that as the well. The reason I said it in the 70s for the record is because The Eternals was first published in the 70s, which is why I thought it would be fun to set it in the 70s. Yeah, um, that's, but that's, that's kind of my big large scope fix is you separate out yeah. the big plots into two movies. That way the characters also have more time to, to breathe and to interact with one another. And for us to kind of get to know them in the first movie so that it's a bigger deal when Ajax is dead in the second movie, when Icarus yeah. betrays the group in the second movie and when the group I think- finds each other again in the second movie, yeah. I think that's more interesting. I think yours touches on something nicely too, that we even kind of discussed in the first half the the last third of this movie like the last act is is pretty solid like it's a convoluted walk to get there it's a very long (laughs) walk to get there but for the most part the third act makes mostly sense and is good um so yeah i like that it leaves that mostly unchanged as as does my version yeah the um and like you can have a little bit of hanging mystery as well like we've defeated the last of the deviants but we haven't been called away what's up with that um and I, I don't think the movies both need to be two and a half hours long for the record. I think you can make smaller, two smaller movies so that it's a little bit two, easier two to hour watch. Movies. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, th- that's kind of my broad fix. I feel like there's maybe a lot of like little stuff that could be tweaked up here and there in, in, in it. But yeah, I think this could have been two movies. You film them back to back, you bang them both out, you release them like a year apart. You're good. Sick. Yeah. Uh, Greg, did you, uh, did you have any, any, uh, I, I was big just fixes trying to like details. I was trying to think about a way of, of piggybacking off of, um, what Scott said, because, um, uh, I don't know if I had a, like a fully fleshed out idea of what I wanted to fix, but I do feel that the crux of the movie is, or that one of the main themes of the movie that seems to want to talk about is like whether humanity is worth saving or not. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't do a great job exploring that. Um, I actually, I can, I can build off that if you want me mm-hmm. to, sure, because sure. I think part of the first movie, if it's set in the seventies can be about how maybe humanity isn't worth saving. Um, you can really focus on a lot of the bad stuff that's going on around that time period. Um, and, and as they travel around hunting down this deviant, you can, you can focus on them kind of growing a little disillusioned as part of the, the overarching plot of this family falling apart, having a falling out. Mm-hmm. So that it when be- we come to the second movie though, but th- that sets up for the second movie. Cause as they come back together, they also rediscover their faith in humanity. They start yeah. to see the good in people. They start, that's why you have Kit Harrington in the second movie. You have, <laughs> you have them reconnect with humanity and realize, no, this is a planet worth saving. It is the right thing to 
stop Icarus and stop the emergence. We're going to stand up to God and tell him he's wrong. If that, if that deviant having got himself uh, much more uh, intelligent over, over many centuries of hoovering up eternals here and there, if like he became kind of uh, almost like a, a, like a puppet master for humanity. Like he's decided that that's the best way to destroy humanity. Uh, oh, to stop in, the celestial emergence is to have humanity wipe itself out. Oh, yeah. I like that. Yes, yeah, that's, that's that a, is that's solid. a wrinkle. That actually like plays that into wrinkle. that whole the like the nuclear thing, and it also plays into like them giving technology because in a way they're sort of like helping out the the deviants' plan. I like right? that. That is yeah. that is solid. That is a solid idea. That's a yeah, the new way to apex predator. That's I like that. Uh, I like that a lot, and I, I think uh, I like as well <clears throat> uh, exploring that theme of um, humanity, whether it's worth being saved. I don't even think it's necessarily a, um, a like worth being saved. Uh, I watched Mich- Mitchell's versus the machine today, and that <laughs> was the bill- villain's big thing. Mm-hmm. But just more like humanity is special and unique as compared to other life in the cosmos. Um, they're more special than others. Um, I think is is an interesting theme of like th- we're so volatile. We're so like the extremes of good and the extremes of bad are off the charts. Uh, and that's uh, that's kind of yeah what I want my my version to explore more. Um, so if you'll you'll indulge me, absolutely. Um, I think how you can fit all this movie into one movie, explore this theme that we were talking about of like nature versus nurture by just cutting out the the deviance entirely. Um, I think they are where most of the plot convolution comes from. I don't fully understand the thing about how, like, they were, you know, sent to be apex predators, but then they got lost control. That's and why you have a whole first movie to set it up. <laughs> and that's great. Great. Sure. Or we cannot worry about any of that. <laughs> and And we just make it like the Eternals were sent to Earth, to protect humanity's growth like parents like a chicken sitting on an egg it was their job to like nurture the life force on earth so that this egg can go so then the themes become about patronage about family about nature and nurture uh, and it also loses that we can't interfere binary that's so confusing that i didn't like because now it's like they are allowed to interfere they're allowed to like coax humanity to like evolve um, kind of like parents raising a child, you know, sometimes you're very direct, other times it's sort of hands off. Uh, and there's a lot of infighting with the, uh, Eternals about how that is. Um, it does mean that we don't have big bombastic Marvel action sequences in the beginning where they're fighting fucking CG monsters. Um, so I think it's more that those early action scenes will be like the Eternals protecting humans from things like natural weather threats, volcanoes, um, I even as I was typing this, I was like, maybe even bizarre predators that aren't these space gods tied to their history or space monsters tied to their history. Because, um, like, monsters are not outside the purview of the MCU. They have this godlike mythologizing angle to the Eternals. So, why not have them fight, like, a big ass lion or some kind of Shang-Chi dragon? And that's how we get the myths of dragons. That's how we get the myths of, like, griffins and, and, mm-hmm. um, um, Calipid. I always forget how to pronounce it, but, uh, um, like quaddles and shit, right? Like all the all the different mythological beasts they actually did kick the shit out of years ago. Great. So they're they're coaxing humanity. They're protecting them from volcanoes and dragons. Um, and all the while they're fucking each other and arguing about what's best for humanity and having infighting, right? And of course, Ajax and Icarus know the truth. Um, so as time is going on, we're seeing humanity's ability to be these special absurd beautiful bastards right extremes of good and bad and this difficult behavior combined with the internal drama within the eternals comes to a head everybody quits right team team splits up um because they can't agree on like how to raise this difficult child of humanity um and so by doing that you then fast forward to modern times Ajak has rekindled her love of humanity and has learned her way, just like you were saying, uh, Greg and Scott. But then she is suspiciously killed before she can gather everyone to stop the emergence. She was going to tell everyone, hey, there's emergence. And the third act plays out all the same. So you just cut the deviants. You make them uh, have to struggle to protect humanity from natural threats and their own infighting. 
they don't make it to the end and it costs everyone everything third act's the same now fun fact in the original comics the deviants were the creatures of myth and that's actually where that comes from sick yeah. that was not clear in this movie no it's not clear in this movie but uh, no. as i understand yeah. the comic lore the reason why we have myths of minotaurs and dragons and griffins Great. those were actually deviants there there's a fucking dragon at the end of shang chi there's literally no reason to that, not have another like, dragon yeah just have another dragon for them to fight so um i'm sure again yeah it's probably true to the comics but that's if you just cut out the deviants that's my my main fix um i have a second one but i want to chew on that for a second did that track? Did that like? No, it it, it, oh, yeah. it does track. Do you think there would be enough action to make it a satisfying Marvel movie? Does um, a Marvel movie need to have a ton of action in it? Well, action, yes. It's just not combat. Because why like, couldn't? Why can't a Marvel movie be more thoughtful? That's yeah, like meditative. my legit question. It, it would it would certainly defy audience expectations. Yeah. But why couldn't Marvel do a rival? Why not? Yeah. yeah. Like that's that's, that's my of, legit question. Why not? And you get you'd be able to explore those ideas of like, oh, we're nurturing, you know, evolution, destiny, free will. And you still get a, the, a the big, Eternals' only job. And you still get a big third act drag out fight between them. So, yeah. and that's the thing that we get to learn about their characters in all the way they fight like parents between the ten of them instead of just between the two of them. I mean, who you guys gets, are parents probably don't always agree divorce. on what's that. Who gets humanity in the divorce? Yeah, exactly. Like. <laughs> You know, um, ten-way parental squabbles would make for a Royal Tenenbaums-esque interesting <laughs> exploration of ten characters, right? And um, they would definitely all have different ideas of how to help humanity grow. Yeah, and especially because humanity's uh, such a tumultuous and chaotic species, it gets harder and harder. It's not as easy as all the other times. Yeah, right? so one of some of them want to inspire them, some of them want to instruct them, some of them want to... Uh, guide them. Some of them want to nurture yeah. them. Like I, I see how how they would have different philosophies. Yeah, way more interesting than just punching some poorly CGI'd weirdos. Um, so my second my second fix, um, and this is why I got excited about your '70s comment there, uh, uh, Scott. My, my second most fix just mostly fixes the Thanos question, and I know we can just hand wave it away, but I feel like it helps. Set the movie literally any time in the 20th century, pre Avengers pre-Captain Marvel even, uh, like Skrull Invasion, um, because this movie this movie ends with none of them on the planet, right? Mm-hmm. By the end of this movie, there are no Eternals on Earth. Yeah, half of them have gone so to look if for they more all Eternals, and the other half the... have been stolen by Space God <laughs> to exactly. account for their sins. <laughs> so if there's literally no Eternals on Earth, then come, come have you, uh, uh, um... Uh, Thanos, Skrulls, whatever. Like it's it it it's it's written right there. It's just like that explains why they end up with Thanos. They're not on the planet anymore because nothing in this movie needs to happen in the 2020s. That's true. right. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. Um, <clears throat> and so I was thinking, well, when do you set it? 70s would be fine. Marvel's done World War II pastiche. Marvel's done 90s pastiche. I think 70s would be a great choice. My other one would be the Roaring Twenties. Because it's such a time of like opulence and growth, it's like other than like the the post war boom, it's the other most recent boom in like yeah. human growth. Um, well, plus if you're could if, be, if there's some discussion about uh, whether humanity is like inherently good or inherently bad, and therefore inherently worth saving or not. The 20s is just after the First World War. Yeah. There's the economic. You lose the A-bomb, but you crash, get mustard yeah. gas. Yeah. The same same thing gets done. So that was my other pitch. And then you just have, uh, you just set up the Black Knight movie three generations earlier than With Dane his Whitman. great-grandfather. Yeah. His great-grandfather. So that was my other pitch was just set it before the Avengers because none of them end the movie on the planet anyway. Yeah. So. It's. Yeah. yeah, is that the is Kit Harrington the reason? Like, is his character the reason why it's set in the modern day? Just because they oh, wanted probably. to set up that character? Yeah, yeah, well, that's a good example they, of like that world building, like not helping itself out all that much. Yeah, yeah, that emergence could have happened at any point. Yeah. In fact, the the farther back you go, the more it is becomes easy to explain how nobody noticed a yeah. space god crawling out of the ocean. Yeah, because it's been it's been there for like. A hundred years now. Nobody cares. It's it's the it's a tourist it's, attraction. It's Pinky was what sunk the Titanic. It's <laughs> uh, it's a tourist attraction now. Nobody really cares. Yeah. Everybody's been yeah. there. Um, yeah. 
I, I like both of our fixes, honestly. I, I like the two movie idea. I do like your more streamlined one movie. I think I think we nailed it, guys. I think we legitimately came up with two alternate but equally viable fixes for this film. Yeah, to the point where I wonder how much of just like that need to have Kit Harrington uh, and the need to have CGI monsters from the fight yeah. were the main reasons this maybe didn't work. It could have been a, a heady, thoughtful arrival type movie. Yeah. Yeah. The feeling like Disney would too be too scared to do something like that. Cowards, <laughs> do it, Disney. Do <laughs> do a rival in Marvel. I dare you. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but I uh, love the comments on this one. Some of the most uh, engagements we've had. So I'm excited to get into it because, oh boy, did our listeners have some thoughts on this film as well. Uh, as always, a couple days before we record, we will solicit your comments on our social medias. Uh, I have some notes on Facebook, at I have some notes on uh, Twitter, and uh, I have some notes pod on Instagram. Um, Adam Star Ruvola says, I think it's beautiful. Leave it alone. It's going to age well. <laughs> Too late. We didn't leave it alone. <laughs> <Yeah>. it's, <laughs> actually, it's not. ugly and already has complicated. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it will age well. Who knows? Uh, maybe mm. maybe in hindsight, uh, with more of the, the movies that come out, things will make a little more sense. Plots will kind of resolve themselves and we'll be able to look back and say, you know what? This movie was underrated. It's not. It's not that bad. I suppose anything's possible. I doubt it. I feel like it's going to be one of those ones that'll get forgotten. Yeah, that's yeah. probably true. It'll be the Thor Dark World of this. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like like its its plots are kind of accepted as something that happened, but we don't really talk about the movie. <laughs> Brian Labelle says, "I actually don't think there is a need to fix it. Like most creation myths, it's dense and difficult to get through." the vast amount of information dumped in the story, but it does an important job of explaining the creation of the universe and setting up things to come. It is the Silmarillion. <laughs> is that an important job? Is that, it is, it <laughs> are is we the, sure that's an important job? <laughs> it is the Silmarillion of the MCU. Yes. <laughs> when you um, said that, is, Scott, in chat, that made, I was immediately <laughs> like, I was like, oh, I'm going to hate this. <laughs> um. Which is, uh, both these comments make me want to reiterate, it did make a little, I, like, I liked it this more the second time around. Um, I, I might I have knew, to go back. I, I knew what was, yeah. I know Anita wants to see it. I didn't have the chance to watch it. Well, usually I watch the movie with my wife, but I didn't have the chance to watch it with her this time around. And I think she kind of is interested. I know she wasn't super jazzed about it. And I think maybe that's an excuse to give it another watch and see if it does yeah. make more sense to me. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's more enjoyable. It just maybe makes more sense. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Matt, <laughs> Matt Bowes says, make it look more like Jack Kirby than a Jack Kmark parking lot. Yeah, it's common. Basically, just saying like we were saying earlier, but like how it just looks pretty gray yeah, throughout yeah. the entire thing. And that's, well, a lot of the visual aesthetic and design definitely harkened back to Jack Kirby. Jack Kirby also dealt with like really vibrant colors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, like which the, we were looking at really the, the celestial blacks. designs, and like yeah. they're all like they're all different colors, and they all look different. And yeah, yeah. and uh, I think that that's that's yeah. a fair point. Is that they could have made the colors pop a lot more in this movie? <clears throat> yeah, is this an is? I mean, I obviously they're trying to tie it into the full MCU, but I wonder if it would have been better as an animated, like a into the Spider Verse aesthetic. Maybe hard to yeah. say. I think it would. I think it would have been much better, and then wouldn't have been an MCU movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We get, get Harrington's got to get paid, baby. <laughs> um, Tony says finding all the characters was repetitive. Cut down one of them. Yeah, big, big. Getting the band back together. Yeah, vibes. It took up most of the movie. Two movies. <laughs> you have more time to deal with all those characters and get to know them better. Just saying. Uh, Robin from Cinematological says, drop the opening sequence, start the movie in Babylon. Explain why Gilgamesh loves Thena. Drop the mystery and have Icarus betray them openly because he can't beat because they can't beat him. Make the solution to stopping Icarus the emergence about being human instead of a unimind. I mean, they we kind of touched on that, how part of their motivation for saving the world really does have to tie into the fact that for most of them, they've discovered a love of humanity and they, and they do feel the planet is worth saving. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that that kind of ties into that a little little bit. bit. And I think, I think maybe you could have done more with that 
maybe it doesn't really, the Unimind doesn't really, we didn't even talk about the Unimind at all through this <laughs> podcast. So like, ha, that's how much of an impact that Well, I was confused with how it was supposed to work because I thought like they all had to be part of it, but like, um, Camille Nanjiani just doesn't show up in the climax. <laughs> like, so I guess they're, I guess they needed less power than they thought. I don't or know. he was part of it. We just didn't see it because yeah. she does say at the end that they were all connected ultimately through the celestial itself that's how she was able to tap into all of that power and tap into all of their power right um was because the celestial itself had become part of the unimind in a way <laughs> but he didn't have the bracelet he needed he the bracelet scott they were all they were all linked up to the <laughs> celestial because that's uh, okay. how they repeatedly survived being on planets that exploded <laughs> <laughs> Lori Plant says, I forget their name, the mistakes, random evolving creature things. Uh, the deviants, yes. Lori. They were the deviants. The moment it evolved and acquired the ability to speak, it makes a good point. They are fighting the same mad god. Yet, because reasons, they must still fight it. Like, for fuck's sake, you said the interesting part out loud and still treated them like a baddie and had the stupid pointless fight scene for zero purpose other than to have... Uh, Stupid purpose other than having to tie up a dumb loose end. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I kind of like the the fix that we had for our first movie solution, which was Greg's suggestion that the uh, the deviant is sabotaging the emergence by trying to get humanity to kill itself off, and therefore it is still a baddie that does still need to be defeated, even though it does have a good point, and that's uh, the point that ultimately plants the seeds for them to fall apart and for them to start to doubt their god's plan. Um, I think I think that that works as as a good fix for that, and then of course Liam's fix for it is just don't even have that in the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just complicates it. Then it's just about human it, for evolution. for Liam. They are the mistakes. Yeah, <laughs> Liam is the celestial of this movie, trying to wipe the deviants out from existence, and then he's going to blow up the movie to birth another Liam. Yeah, <laughs> just to take my metaphor work. to its extreme. <laughs> 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 Think about how many podcasts will be poorly host if we don't let this. Uh, Stephanie Chan says, maybe don't jump the timeline around. Perhaps it should have been two movies or an MCU series. Ding, ding, ding. I mean, we suggested uh, essentially both of those things now. Yeah. Oh, uh, Stephanie's nailing it with the next comment. Don't fight the monsters. They did not add anything to the story for me. That's what I said. Um <laughs> Crushing it, Steph. Uh, I felt like there were a lot of deep themes that were not treated as such. Also, something we discussed. Yeah, yeah. No, nope. that was that was the lottery win of yeah. <laughs> of, the, of the listener comments. Yeah, sorry, I should say I was off the top. You you guys are actually trying to guess what our fixes are going to be when we solicit these <laughs> from you, and uh, there's prizes awarded if you guess correctly. Uh, I don't. We don't actually care what you think. No, I'm just kidding. Kidding, kidding. <laughs> we love it. Um, <laughs> Uh, at Talking SMAC Pod says, first, I like the Eternals. I think it's better than people are giving it credit. I think you can get rid of two, maybe three characters and combine those traits into other characters. Give Cersei more character. She's driven solely by her mission. We don't know much about her. Uh, I kind of disagree. I think Cersei yeah. grows the most, arguably, out of all of them. Uh, growth might be a strong word. I, I Well... I mean, she does have, yeah, she does feel like she's not prepared at all to be the leader. So, she, yeah, she does complete that arc quite well. Uh, so, yeah, you're right. Um, she, you know, her humanity is sort of explored through her relationship with, with Icarus. So there's a lot more going on there than just about any other character. I yeah, think. because I- Icarus is driven solely by the mission. And Cersei <laughs> right, is, yeah. he's... If while well, he and Cersei are lovers, they're also foils for one another. Yeah. Uh, the one who who has realized that this planet is worth saving, and the one who is solely focused on the big, laser focused on the bigger picture. Um, and then the the question kind of becomes, which one of them will bend first? Right. Yeah. So, and yeah, ultimately, and that's Superman his, and that's Icarus's arc too. Is just realizing that he's taken things too far, and then. Uh, yeeting himself into the sun, as one of the listeners said, uh, said at one point. Uh, I think I edited that one out, but yeah, that was a good line. I think it was Laurie who said that. Which, if we were uh, going to just cut characters out entirely, which which Eternal do you cut? Oh, um... Uh, the, the Charles Xavier guy? 
No, I'd cut. I'd honestly, I'd cut Gilgamesh and Thena. They have their own subplot, kind of separated mm. from everybody else. And mm-hmm. if I was to cut anybody, I'd excise them from the movie. I think everybody else has a, a role to play in the main plot, and the two of them, not as much. I, I think uh, I'd probably just cut Makari because she's the one who spends most of the movie waiting in the car for the rest <laughs> of them. I mean, if if uh, Gilgamesh and Thena aren't there taking up space with their own little subplot, I think she maybe has more to do. Mm. But yeah. I I think I think we can have all of them still if we have more more time to play with them. But if if you gun to my head told me I have to cut one or two characters, yeah, they're the two easiest I think to get rid of. Yeah, yeah I was just curious, just flat cut like that alex b comments make it a series clearly set up the ensemble cast and specifically what their powers are show them just as flawed as humans falling in love hubris etc my big pet peeve is eternals manipulating a given humans no choice but i don't know how to fix that Um, i feel like i feel like the humans do have a choice and that's one of the things that frustrates them so through this movie like that's the reason why um uh uh, Fastos ultimately like falls out of love with humans for the longest time after the atomic bomb because humans chose to use technology he was introducing for the benefit of humanity to destroy one another. And I I feel like that's a frustration that many of them share as well. Like that's one of the reasons why uh, uh, Druig walks out on the mission is because he's like, we're not doing anything to stop them from killing one another. Like their choice is a problem and I'm going to take it away from them. That's what his ultimate resolution to that problem is. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I feel like it is explored. Yeah. Chris comments. I say two 100 to 120 minute movies. Uh, Yeah. That's uh, seems to be the consensus, Chris. (laughs) Uh, crushing it I'm, i i i want one movie i don't know that i need two of these uh, but <laughs> <laughs> one was enough um, it does seem like the most oh, easy way to fix a film like this uh chris continues number one set in the mcu's five-year gaps the bad guys start to wake up so have a fun gathering the team adventure uh movie number two is set post endgame who killed selma hayek and then the big heel turn uh, and if the first one bombs, then they wouldn't get to do the big egg celestial story. But honestly, that could always be recycled into a better Fantastic Four movie anyway. I think you just, uh, you do the two movies. Even if the first one bombs, you do, you Lord of the Rings it, you film them back to back so that you have the same cast, unaging. And especially because you have one younger character in the movie, um, like banging them out all at once means that you don't have to worry about two or three years later that actor looking different. Um, and then you just release them a year apart. And even if the first one didn't do good, you're Marvel. You can just release the second one. Who cares? Um, yeah. <laughs> you're, you've got Disney money. You can afford to have a movie bomb and still release the sequel. It's fine. Yeah. 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 I think two movies makes more sense than a series just because I think in the story that's at least the one that we're told, I think there's like a natural like halfway break. Whereas I don't think you can make six or eight episodes like not enough thing happen not enough things happen you could probably or episodically you could probably build it out or you could even i'm gonna bear with me arrested development it and have each episode for the first like part of the series focus on one of the characters and then bring them together yeah suppose heroes Um, kind of did that too yeah um but yeah i don't know yeah. I mean, uh, you, could, you could argue okay. that this movie is inherently cinematic in its imagery, and maybe mm-hmm. that's good enough reason to throw it into into theaters, just because you have those the big celestials and that that big sort of special effects set piece. Mm-hmm. That's another good point. Yeah, I will say though that there one thing that Disney has shown with some of their Disney Plus series is that they can do cinematic on the small screen. Um, they can, they can give you a cinematic film, uh, even when they're doing like a television series, they can still give you cinematic imagery, big, mm-hmm. big visuals. Um, it's they they have the money to throw around to do that. And I kind of appreciate that on one level. So, um, perhaps if, uh, if they were to, to make it into a series, um, the way you chapterize it is, is using my suggestion of make it more about the myths that they've helped build over the years. And each episode is like a different myth coming to fruition. Oh yeah. That could be fun. Or you could, uh, you could definitely 
fill out episodes by having flashbacks, like have part of the episode set in the present as they're dealing with the meta plot and part of the episode set as they're remembering yeah. experiences that tie into that. Which um, is like that, lost. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. Cool. Some good ideas. Uh, again, this movie is full of good ideas. It just doesn't really execute on them very well. And yeah, that's, that's, I the... think why we have so many, kind of options in front of us for ways that mm-hmm. this could have been done a little better. Like it could have been handled better. Um, I'd say this movie was definitely in our sweet spot, a movie that's just good enough to be fine, but just bad enough to be like, Oh, it could have been better. Yeah. <laughs> could have been so yeah. much better. And I even wonder if how many of those problems with it are like a matter of, of sort of production by committee and the the telephone game of the studio system where like <laughs> by time it gets to the end enough people have put their hands on it that it's just like a little warped and wobbly and like That's doesn't the way that a make- lot of marvel yeah. movies feel in the long run i don't know on they the just other don't hand- have that they just they just don't have that um they don't have that feel of like a movie that has a vision you know the only one that really did was um thor ragnarok in my mind I will say, um, on the other hand, yeah. they don't feel like a DC movie where it feels like they were putting it together while they were filming it. Like it feels like <laughs> Marvel movies. Marvel. There was there was forethought that went into uh, the movie before they actually started filming the movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm. Uh, I was uh, excited to watch this again, and I was excited for all the engagement we got on it. Yeah. Uh, more, more. Would you believe people like the Marvel movies? <laughs> uh, but until then, uh, please uh, thank you for listening. Uh, please follow us on social media and wherever it is you happen to be listening to this. Give us a review, a like, a subscribe. We do appreciate it. You know, Kingo is a big Bollywood star, so he almost certainly would have featured on Bollywood is for Lovers. Matt Bowes and Aaron Fraser explore the world of Hindi cinema through the lens of two Canadian cinephiles. You can check them out right now, along with plenty of other great podcasts at albertapodcastnetwork.com. The listener-selected season continues. We'll have a poll going up um, sometime, I guess, in the next few days after this uh, episode is released. Um, I believe we're going to put End of Days and what was the other one? Uh, 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 Highlander 2 up against each other. So you get to select between those two. Until then, I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. Keep watching the skies for giant space gods. Mm-hmm.